welcome to this King's Church talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. We've been going through a, a very, very short series in December of uh, Advent, and we are, uh, the elders have decided that, we, that they would like us to uh, do some talks for Advent, and so this morning I, I'm going to be doing a, an, um, an, a bit of an oblique hit at Advent, okay? And um, Martin Luther said that uh, the Old Testament is the cradle in which the baby Jesus lies, Okay, so the Old Testament, if we, I've said this before, but we should be able to turn, you should be able to turn to any page in the Old Testament and find Jesus. That's where it's at. Okay. And um, this morning we're going to, over a very short period of time, hopefully, um, unless I get very excited, we're going to look at the big picture of God. Okay, and how it sits in terms of Advent. Advent is basically, as I understand it, a period of time where the, the established churches have set time aside to think about Jesus coming for the first time and to consider Jesus coming for the second time. Okay? That's how Advent has been working. Um, it's not just chocolate, although that's really fantastic. Even our dog has a chocolate Advent calendar. I can tell you the chocolate does not taste very nice. I will tell Finley. No, don't tell Finley. I'm going to tell him. You can't get away with it. The chocolate does not taste very good. Okay? So, um, but it's not just about that, and it's not about having 24 little slots and a whatever. It's actually time to consider the coming of Jesus and his second coming. This morning, we're going to, I'm going to, we're going to look at three trees. This, is, this talk is called A Tale of Three Trees. Okay? And we're going to consider three trees in the Bible and how they fit into the Advent story. Is that okay? I told you it was going to be a bleak. I told you it was going to be odd. But there we go, three trees. So if you've got your Bible with you, if you could turn to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to find our first two trees, although we're just going to focus on one and we'll pick the other one up a little later. So Genesis 2, and we're looking at verse 5. Okay? Here we go. When no bush in the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land yet, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. (coughs) Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden, and then it goes on to talk more about the trees itself. And then in verse 17, it says, but the tree of the Lord... Sorry, let's just go back a bit. Uh, Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. 
Then if we skip to verse chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for... God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God and you shall know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was, desired, uh, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made them save themselves line cloths, long cloths. If you just pop over to verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man was, has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So here we have this garden that uh, God's created. He's, he's making trees, trees are growing. And in the middle of it all, he puts these two trees. And then he creates man and he tells man that he shouldn't eat of the, of, of the trees, of the fruit of it. Notice it doesn't say apple. It's nothing to do with apples. I don't know what it looked like. I think it was probably a quince tree because that's horrible. But... Um, we're not told what the fruit is. We're just told, man's told, not to eat of this fruit. Um, and we know the story. We've just read the story. The, cra- the, the crafty serpent comes along and suggests to them, to, to woman, that sh- she can eat the free fruit. And then woman eats the fruit. Man eats the fruit. And the result is they get cast out of the garden. And we're going to look for the first few minutes at this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. God, in his wisdom, had created two trees and told them not to eat it. Now, I don't know about you, when temptation comes, I find that temptation is incredibly pleasant. Sin is incredibly pleasant when you're looking at it from the temptation side. Okay, um, going back to Echo, we, I'm trying to train him not to take treats until I tell him he can have it. Okay. And I put it on the table, and I can see him kind of looking at me with one eye, looking at the treat with the other, hoping that I'm going to turn my head so that he can snatch the treat before I say he can have it. Okay. But if you've got children, you'll know that actually, when you tell them not to do something, it becomes incredibly pleasant to try it. Yes. Is that true, Mia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would that be true in your family, Jackie? Oh, yeah. Yeah? You tell the kids not to do something and it becomes incredibly pleasant to try. Okay. And in this first temptation, it says quite clearly, when Eve looked at it, the tree was succulent, it was fruitful, it was delicious, it was delightful. It was everything she wanted. She's been tempted by the crafty serpent and she takes the opportunity while God's not watching to take the fruit and eat it. 
And then we know the rest of the story. Interestingly, when you read in the, Old Te- in the New Testament, Eve is not blamed for eating the fruit. Man is, Adam is. Okay, and we must not read into these scripture verses something that's not there. God holds man responsible for eating the fruit. And the temptation, the, the base temptation that Eve and Adam and Eve were facing is this. Right now you're human and there's no sense of they're going to die. They could have, who knows how long they would live for. Probably forever. There was no death in the garden. Okay, but the temptation that, the, that Satan comes with is if you eat this, you will become like God. And God wants to stop you Becoming like God. And later on, God says, they become like us because they now know what is good and evil. They now know what, what the difference is. And we better push them out the garden because now they know that if they eat the tree of life, that will become a real problem. And sin enters our world. Now, I've been around, a long, around the block a lot of times. I read a lot of things. I read in the press and in the different things I read. I'm reading the moment about a book about alcoholism. Not because I'm an alcoholic, but because I'm doing some work with Jubilee Plus, which is focused on alcohol, alcoholism. And the general tenor of things is that people become bad through their circumstances. They have bad experiences and bad things happen, either because they're victims or because of circumstances, and it's not really their fault. It's not really their fault, and they're victims and everything else. And I have a lot of sympathy with that, with that view. When I talk to my children um, when they were younger, um, I don't know about you, but my kids, it was never their fault. <laughs> It was always somebody else's fault. When they did their exams, it wasn't their fault they'd not revised. It was the teachers that had not taught them properly. Okay? When they, when they um, hit each other, it wasn't their fault they'd been provoked. When it, it just goes on and on and on. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's a, natural, it's a natural inclination to push blame away and say, it's not my fault. And society really has bought into that actually... The, the root of the problem it isn't self. The root of the problem is what's going on in society around us. Well, the Bible is counterculture. It doesn't say that. It says the root of the problem is that we are born into sin. Because, as Paul says in Romans, through one man came sin and death. Through Adam comes sin and death. And the Bible is really quite clear. We are born into sin. It is now a very natural position for us to take. It's to sin. Have you tried not sinning? It's really quite hard. It's really quite hard. We are born into sin. And when I look at these newborn babies and everything else, which is wonderful, and all the potential that's in them, we must also realise that actually... Each child is born into sin. They don't become sinners through things that happen. 
We don't become sinners through our circumstances. We don't become difficult people through all that. Although that is so important that the root of it all is this. We are born into sin because Adam and Eve fell for the temptation and ate of the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil. And the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the New Testament, is the story of how God is going to put that right. How it's going to change things. Now, just a brief thing here. It's really important we don't kind of fall into the trap of thinking God had a great plan in chapter 1, and he had a great plan in chapter 2 up to verse 17, or whatever it is, in chapter 3, sorry, where Eve eats it. And then God's scrabbling round because now we've got a problem. And God's scrabbling round for a new plan. And the rest of the Old Testament is God figuring out how he's going to solve the problem. Okay? And we can fall into that trap. And some of the things we say and some of the things we believe and some of the things we do, we can fall into the trap to think that God was caught out totally surprised by Adam and Eve. Okay? Now, the Bible is quite clear. It teaches that before Genesis even started, God had foreseen what was going to happen and he had an eternal plan and he had an eternal working out of that plan and the Bible is the story of how God works out that plan. God already knew. God had already figured it out. It wasn't a surprise. That day when he, the next day when he calls Adam and Eve and he's walking in the twilight, when they walk with God and he shouts, Adam, Adam, where are you? I don't believe for one minute that God didn't know where Adam was. I don't believe for one minute that when he starts questioning Adam about why, who told you about this and who told you about that and how do you know that? When my kids were naughty, when they were little, I didn't need to know the story. I already knew the story. When I asked them the questions, I'm trying to get them to tell me the truth of what had been going on. And here, with these two adult children, God is not surprised with what's gone on. He knew what had happened. He'd seen the story. He'd worn the t-shirt. He was ready for it. And we, right now, we live in the shadow of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Today's society, if you watch carefully, we've watched particularly um, scientists, for example, trying to find when life began. Let's get it down to a millisecond, a millisecond, a millisecond, to find out when life began. Because if we can find that, we can be like God and we can solve all our problems. It'll be like God's. Or space travel, which I think is fascinating. Let's go to another planet and find some water and whatever it is, and we can start life again, and we can start a new pure society, and we can be like God's. And if you look at any sphere of human activity, what we want to become is more and more like the God that rules 
the roost. We live in the shadow of this tree. You want to put the tree up, um, John? This is a classic image from some religion, religious iconism with a tree of good at the top and evil at the bottom. We, we stand in the shadow of both of them. Even when we're trying to do good, the Bible says, effectively, we are doing evil. The good of knowledge of good and evil. Even in our desire to put things right, we put things wrong. Whenever I put my finger into the pond and stir it round, it all becomes muddy. And I'm not sure which is which. So this tree, we live in it, its shadow. And Romans 1 tells us that because of this tree and eating of this tree and Adam's sin, God's wrath is set against mankind. It's a fascinating story in Romans 1 of how he, uh, Paul tells the story of man's descent into evil. And how at the end of it, God, when he gets to the end, God goes, okay, you want it, you can have it. The punishment of the sin is that you can keep doing it. God, not washing his hands of, of mankind, he's not washing himself of it and saying, that's it, I've had enough. He's saying, guys, if you want to carry on, you carry on. But here's the story. Here's something else that you can buy into. God's wrath is set against mankind in our sin. We must not pander to the theology that says that God loves everybody and therefore because God loves everybody, everybody, regardless of their status, will be in heaven to worship Jesus. If you've read any of the, I forget what they're called, the new, what to call it? I can't remember the word. Rob, Rob, Bell and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Universalist. Yes. Universalist perspective. That God loves everybody, therefore, um, God will not condemn anybody to hell, to living without Him. God loves everybody and will wrap them all up at the end and we'll all be together. We must not buy into that. That is not biblical. It's nowhere near biblical. Romans says God's wrath is set against mankind and there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay for eating of this tree. And unfortunately, regardless of how fair you think it is, you and I both have to pay that price. We've got to go there. Let's uh, turn to Deuteronomy. This is the start of the good news, guys. Okay, that was the bad news. Sorry. You've got to have good, bad news before you get good news. But let's look at Deuteronomy 21. This is the seed of what we're celebrating right now. Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. Let's actually go back to verse 22. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body will not remain there all night, but you shall... Bury him the same day, for a hangman is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land, and the Lord your God is given you for an inheritance. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. This is our second tree, the cross. 
as we think about the stable right now, as we think about a baby coming, born of a virgin, as we've already heard, lived with his mum and dad in the back streets of a little town called Nazareth. Smelly, sweaty, horrible. Growing to be a carpenter. At the age of 30, he starts his ministry. Three years later, he's hung on a tree. As we think about Christmas, the story of Christmas is not the story of a baby. The story of Christmas is Emmanuel, God, has come to dwell with us. It's a lovely romantic thing, the whole baby thing. And Jesus was born born as a baby, but the point of the story, the point of him coming is Emmanuel, God with us. Dwelling amongst us, being like us. Doing the things that we do. Eating the things we eat. Going the places we go. Doing the things we do. Having friends like we do. Knowing about uh, triumph and knowing about disappointment. Knowing about friends turning against him. Knowing pain. Knowing sorrow. Knowing sadness. Knowing that his best friend, one of his best friends has died. And how he's going to deal with that. God is with us. And... As God is with us, there's one important element we must come back to, and that is, he's born of a virgin. It's important. We don't talk about it very much because it's kind of, as Maz has already said, it's a bit awkward to explain. You try having that conversation in the pub tonight, or tomorrow when you go to the pub, or when you go for coffee with your friends. Just try explaining about a virgin birth. It's a little bit complicated, and it takes a lot of faith, but it's really, really important. Because if, in, if through Adam, sin enters the world and death enters the world, then we have to have a sacrifice where that is broken forever. Okay. Jesus is born of a virgin. He's born of a virgin because... The sin line stops. He's not born into sin. Jesus isn't born into sin and then somehow becomes pure through his, through his life, through circumcision and going to the temple and all the rest of it. And by being a good boy and not sinning ever, he is acceptable to God. That's not the way the Bible tells it. The Bible tells it that Jesus was born of a virgin. Sinless. Sinless. Tempted, just like we are. Let's uh, let's be blunt. Jesus hung around some really strange people. With prostitutes and tax collectors. Thieves. I can imagine that Jesus saw some interesting things and was tempted just like you and me. In fact, actually, he's tempted just like Eve because Satan takes him to the top of the cliff and says, you can have all this. You can be like God, missing the point altogether. Because Jesus was God. 
He had it all ready. But he's tempted like we are. He's tempted, I'm guessing that um, when Lazarus died, I'm guessing that Jesus was tempted to be a little bit angry with God. He's tempted to do things to prove he's God. He's tempted to, you know, I can imagine after the uh, um, feeding of the 5,000, you know, Peter kind of coming alongside and said, could you do that again? <laughs> Just do that again. That was really good. That was really good. I like being with you because actually that was really good. Could you do that tomorrow? I can imagine some of the other guys kind of trying to build crowds together and saying to Jesus, there you go. There you go. Show them. Show them how it's done. I think Jesus was tempted just like we are. I think he was tempted by pride, by arrogance, by, I think, all sorts of things. The things that you've been tempted with this week, but without sin. But without sin. Not falling into that temptation. And we end up with the next picture, the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus on a cross, born of a virgin for one purpose in life. That, as Paul puts it like this, he would become sin for me so that I could become righteous before God. But Jesus the sinless saviour would take my sin and put it on himself so that I can walk free. Paul picks up that phrase in Deuteronomy. If you'd like to turn to Galatians. In Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Israel might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus is hung on a tree. He becomes a curse. It's not just an unpleasant death. He became a curse. He became a non-person. Even on the cross, Jesus says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? God, looking at his son, dying on a cross, carrying my sin. Not able, not willing to do, to, because of sin, we can't enter into God's presence and there's Jesus on the cross, carrying my sin. Father, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? Where are you, God? Cursed. The worst thing that in the Jewish mind that could happen. Cursed before God. So that I can walk free. The cross. It's our second tree. Jesus, the sinless saviour, Dying on a cross.
unless we understand the gravity of our sin before, before God, the utter gravity of it all, the utter desperation that we stand in without Christ, if we do not understand that, really, how wretched we are, how awful it is, how God's anger is burning against us, we will not really ever understand the total, absolute freedom and glory and grace and mercy of a God who dies on a cross. Just as extreme as God's wrath is, his extreme love and grace and mercy is displayed on our second tree. It is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. I cannot understand at all why God would do that. I have, I've got no concept of it. I just know he did it. And I know that he did it for me. And he did it for you. Let's move on to our third tree because this is where the good news really is. And we're looking at Revelation chapter 22. Our, second, our tree that was in the garden... A tree that is in the garden makes its appearance. It's been hidden from us. If you could, could put that next picture up, please, Jono. There's a tree. Again, in religion, religious iconography, there's the two angels guarding it and the tree. And interestingly, the little dove there signifying the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about, if you try to decipher it. But let's look at where this tree makes its reappearance. In chapter 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The amazing providence of God, that he protects us from eating of the second tree, but when he comes in glory, it is for the healing of the nations. It's an amazing tree. It sits right in the middle of the city of God. And our glorious hope is this, that I, I'm, I was, the wrath of God was against me. I am now in his kingdom, saved in Christ. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to come back for me and take me to be with him to live forever. And in the middle of it will be this big tree. And, I, and in a sense, I won't need the tree of life because now I have eternal life. God's given it to me. I am now like God in that sense that I have eternal life. God's given it to me. And one day he's going to come back. Advent is talking about the second coming as well as the first coming. He's going to come back and he's going to collect me and, and you and thousands of other people, millions of other people that have being on the earth that have loved him and worshipped him. Saints from days gone by. Saints that are coming. You, us. The consequence of sin is still death, but 
one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to make a trumpet call and the dead in Christ will rise and those that remain will be called up into the air with him and we will be with him and he will be our light and our nation, everything that we need in our life and we will draw every sustenance from him and we will reign forever and sin will be no more. What happened with Adam has been dealt with by Christ and we're still living the consequences but one day we will be in a place where that will not have any impact on us whatsoever. There'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. Everything will be explained to us. I won't stand there before God and say, God, I would like to know why I believe I'll be there just worshipping him. And my questions will be answered. There'll be no questions because it's all in Christ. And as we stand worshipping him and loving him, actually, do you know what? It really won't matter that much. Jesus is coming again. Let's look at... um, just in closing, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Done. It's finished. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Why is he the first fruits? Because as, man came by de- uh, as, as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. As sure as I am that I was in Adam and Ad- I'm in Adam and live in sin and dealing with sin on a daily basis, I know that because I'm in Christ, I will be raised from the dead. I will be with him. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, resurrected. Then he's come in those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end and he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his foot, feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Wow. That's right. Wow. What a glorious hope. What an amazing thing. As we think about Jesus as a little baby in a manger with wise men and shepherds and goodness knows what else. Consider that in this baby is your future hope and glory. One day, I don't know when it's going to be. That's not my business. I'm not really bothered. In that sense, I'd like it to be tomorrow. Actually, when I, before I stood up to pray, had to preach, I was hoping it was just then. But, <laughs> but I don't know when it's going to be. Yeah. Only the Father knows. Yeah. But this I do know, it will happen. That's right. That's right. And I will be with him. And the Bible says that when we see him, What does it say? We will be like him. The tree of life in the city. It says that the throne of God is on it. 
in Revelation, the tree. Now, there's nothing, I'm not, I'm not focusing that on the tree particularly. I just want you to focus on Jesus is coming soon. Do you believe that? Is that your hope? If, it's, if you're not a Christian this morning, and that's not your hope, and you would like it to be, we can pray for you this morning. And if you are a Christian and you fear other things, you fear all sorts of things, this morning God wants to give you hope for a future. Fear is based on not knowing what's going to happen next. Hope is based on knowing what God's going to do for you. 